Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Okay, our reading is from Matthew 12, 38 to 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for signs, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah, and indeed something greater than Jonah is here. The word of the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you all this morning, not that I'm not usually, uh, but I'm on some extra coffee because I got invested in Colorado, Colorado State last night, and that went to about 1.30 in the morning. So this is either going to be a great sermon or we'll just move on to next week, one of the two. We'll see how this works out. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Thank you to those of you who are here in the chapel. It's wonderful to be with you as always. And to those of you who have joined us online, thank you as well. We're pleased to have you as part of this community and thank you for being here with us. My name is Dan Cook. I'm the teaching pastor here at Genesis. And again, it's always a privilege for me uh, to be with you and worshiping with you and diving into God's word together. Uh, We are in the second week of what we're calling Creation Tide, or the season of creation. It's sort of a subset of ordinary time as we follow along the the liturgical calendar. And as we do every time we we tweak seasons on the liturgical calendar, on your liturgy, right up at the very top of the front page, is a description of the season that we're in. And the line that jumped out to me as I read through that was that Creation Tide is the time we turn our attention to God's relationship with all of creation and with our relationship with creation and with God through creation. So there's sort of this cyclical flow to it, right? How do we relate to creation and how through creation do we relate to God? Which is ironic in a sense to have me up here preaching during creation time because it was just, I don't know, two weeks ago that on the radio where I work at WCCO Radio, one of my colleagues described me as, quote, Noted indoorsman, Dan Cook, (laughs) which was not an unfair description, to be honest with you. Uh, You know, I grew up in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, and we were when I was a kid, we went camping sometimes. I think we even had a pop-up tent trailer at one point, so we did enough camping to justify that. And then every summer, we'd go up to a cabin and do a fishing. So it's not like I have no experience in nature, but as an adult, it's just not something that I've been generally drawn to until recently. Literally, it was a few months ago that I scheduled a camping trip where that's why I was gone last week is I was off doing a solo camping trip, which seems like, you know, to go from zero to 60 right now when it comes to nature, maybe that wasn't the greatest idea I've ever had, but it actually worked out really, really well. And it was one of those things where I had made that decision prior to our decision to do this Creation Tide series, and yet I couldn't help but through the whole time as I was planning it and as I was executing it, thinking about our relationship to creation and how that 
relates to God. And as I'm sitting at this campsite, and look, it was a county uh, campsite in Dakota County. I'm not out in the middle of the forest somewhere foraging. I mean, it was relatively low-level camping. But it was still away from devices, and it was away from what I'm used to, and it was something where it was a break from the normal to the point where I really was able to focus on what was going on around me. And it was surprising to me, actually, how comfortable I felt, how connected I felt out in nature, and how easily it was to feel God's presence. And it stood out so clearly as I sat there, and there was you know, a flock of turkeys that went by at one point, and at night when you're sleeping, there's all kinds of sounds of critters and whatnot. Pretty sure I heard a coyote. Who knows? Uh, could have just been somebody's dog at the campsite. I'm not really sure. But nature was, nature was there in a very tangible way. Creation was there in a very tangible way. And the intricacy of it, usually when I think of creation, I go to cosmos, right? I start thinking of planets and galaxies and the universe and all of these things and bore people to tears going into how interesting I find all that stuff. But as intricate and as complex and as amazing as the cosmos is, the various structures that are here right on this very planet, I think, are just as amazing and stood out to me over the course of this trip. And it led me, as I was thinking about what am I going to talk about when it comes to creation, led me to ask this question. What is the purpose of creation? I mean, I have a feel for why we're here, right? God exists as covenantal loving relationship within the Trinity. And God created human beings to be part of that loving covenantal relationship. But the rest of creation, right? Covenant, remember, is something that we choose. It's a relationship we choose to be in. We don't necessarily choose who we fall in love with once in a while, but who we choose to spend time with, who we choose to be in that relationship with, that is absolutely a choice. And most of the rest of creation isn't self-aware enough to be able to make that choice. This is not a knock on animals. I'm not anti-animal. Don't, I don't want to get sidetracked there. But most of creation, when you think about what's around us, isn't self-aware enough to make that choice. So if God created us to be in that covenantal loving relationship, why did God create everything else? Which I actually want to turn into an all play because I don't know that there is an answer. And being a noted indoorsman, I don't know that I'm best qualified even necessarily to answer that. So I want your insight on it. Let's share with each other. Let's talk with each other this morning. Why, what is the point of the variant nature of God's creation, of all the things that God planted around us, all of the complex systems around us? Why? Why would God do that? There is no right answer. You can just shout something out. There's no... Anyone? To remind us of his majesty. Thank you, Enoch. The system allows support from the bottom up. Very interesting. Thank you, Rajan. Who else has something? The complexity itself points to something greater having created it. The complexity of the systems itself, of nature itself, points to something greater having created it. Thank you, Holly. Yep, I think that's a big part of it. To give us something to steward. To give us something to steward. Thank you, Will. to give us a tangible way to see God's renewal and growth. Thank you, Katie. Anybody want to take an aesthetic run at it? I mean, nature's pretty beautiful because when you think about it. Because beauty is just good. Because beauty is good. Because how do we know what beauty is unless something beautiful is put in front of us, right? I think that's part of it, too. And the variety of things put in front of us allow for the variety of perceptions of what's beautiful. 
You want to finish the rest of the sermon? Because that's... <laughs> Give her the opportunity. Say that again. The variety of things around us. It speaks to the variety of perceptions of the people who view it. Speak to the variety of perceptions of what is beautiful, I think is what yeah, you said. Yeah, yes. Very good. Thank you very much. As usual, you guys always come up with better answers than I ever do. It's amazing. I love it. Yes, all of those things, all of those things are reasons God has put creation around us. And I want to suggest that part of the reason that God put creation around us is to remind us of the nature of Tov. Those of you who are old school Genesisers know we talked about Tov a lot. But for those of you who are newer, Tov is the word. When you go back to the first creation account, and remember there are two, but in Genesis 1, when you go back to the first creation account and God creates something and God sees that it is good, that word good is the Hebrew word tov. But one of the frustrating things about translating the Bible is that there are often words in English. It's amazing to me that we have as many words in English as we do, and yet we make words like good carry so many different meanings to it, right? We talk about this when we talk about love in the New Testament and the fact that the Greeks had four different words for love that are used throughout the New Testament because there are different kinds of love. Well, there are different kinds of good. Pizza is good, right? My family is good, most of them. Um, (laughs) You know, Star Wars is good. No, I wasn't looking at you, Dad. promise that was not about you. I was a shot at my brother because he's not here. Uh, No, there's different kinds of good, right? So when we say tov, when we translate that as as good in English, that's a correct translation, but it's lacking in all of the context and connotation. Good as tov is the kind of good that perpetuates more good. It is the seed that grows into a plant that flowers, that drops more seeds, that grow into more plants that flower and drop more seeds. It's the perpetuation of life. When God looks at creation, the various elements of creation that he makes, and sees that they're good, he sees them as not a static thing that I've created this thing and it's going to just stay like that forever. But it's a dynamic thing that grows and flowers and spreads and creates more new life and eventually has a life cycle that finishes to create more room for more new life and more new life and more new life. That's what Tove is. Tove is a cycle. Tove is something that goes on and on and on. And we, as human beings have a unique place in that flow. Because we're not just part of it, we are part of it, but we're not just part of that flow, we are the ones called to help steward that flow, to help guide that flow, to help keep that flow headed in the direction that God has intended for that flow. And when we see that flow occurring in nature, that was one of the things that was remarkable to me as I'm sitting at this campsite watching all of these things interact with each other, they're going to do what they're going to do regardless of me sitting there. And yet, if I sprint out into the middle of nature and freak out a bunch of things that are out there, I can have a very direct effect on it as well. So there's a system that is in place that is working, and yet we are here and called to guide that system or to help be a part of that system and steward that system. Why is it important to recognize that flow? It's important to recognize that flow because just as we have a choice in terms of the covenantal relationship to be part of it or to not be part of it, we have a choice when it comes to how we posture ourselves towards creation. And I don't want to make this a strict binary because you know I don't like those. So think of this as a spectrum. Where on one end, we can posture ourselves towards creation and look at creation as something that is there for our benefit. Something we can use, something we can 
abuse, something we can have power over, something that we can rule and run if we so choose, regardless of whatever consequences may come of that. And, or, we can look at creation as something we are intimately connected with, something that we are part of, a flow that we are part of, that we are called to steward, that we are called to guide, that we are called to aid. Not everybody has to be an environmental justice warrior. Not everybody has to be part of a, co- of a corporation that abuses the earth. We all fall kind of somewhere in between, but we have a choice as to where or what end of that spectrum we're going to be on. And that's why it's important to understand that tow flow. So what is today's text? What does scripture tell us about how we address things, how we can approach things? Because I'll be honest with you, if you're looking at that text and you said, I don't understand how creation fits into this, then you had the same thought that I had when I first looked at this text. And I don't know how I'm supposed to talk about creation with this. Well, Jesus in this passage has asked for a sign, right? He's asked for a sign by religious leaders so that he could prove himself, prove who he was, prove what he was capable of. And he responds to this ask with a cryptic mention of the story of Jonah and connects it to the Son of Man spending three days and nights in the heart of the earth, which you have to remember, we see that and immediately think of the time between crucifixion and resurrection. The people Matthew was writing to probably would make that same connection. But the people Jesus was speaking to when he said it would have had no idea what he was talking about. They would have just thought he was being very, very cryptic and confusing. Jesus goes on to say that even that sign of the Son of Man spending three days and nights in the heart of the earth won't matter because as the Ninevites repented at the sign of Jonah, you all refuse to repent when you have something better than Jonah in front of you. Well, what does that mean? In order to understand that, we have to do a quick run-through of Jonah, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible. So I'm going to try and keep it short because I could go on for a bit. Remember, Jonah is a prophet. And Jonah the prophet is called by God to go to the city of Nineveh and call on them to repent. Nineveh, uh, which is located in modern-day Iraq, if you've heard of the city of Mosul at all, that's where Nineveh was. And they know that because there was some amazing archaeological evidence there that pointed to that being the site of Nineveh. Sadly, when ISIS was in control of that town and then pulled out or forced out, they destroyed a bunch of that archaeological uh, treasure there. But because God is God, as they were destroying things, they actually cracked open an entrance to a tunnel that nobody knew was there. And so when people came into the city after ISIS had pulled out, they found this brand new tunnel, and in this brand new tunnel was all kinds of new archaeological evidence, including inscriptions that named the prophet Jonah. Apropos of nothing, I just love that story. But so Jonah's going to go to Nineveh. Jonah's going to tell the Ninevite empire to repent. The Ninevites were the evil empire of their time. They make Rome look soft and fluffy. They did all of the evil things you would ever assign to an empire. That's who Nineveh was. Oppression, slavery, domination, rape, pillage, the whole thing. That's who Nineveh was. And so God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and say, you have to repent of your sins or you're going to meet destruction. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, God. Because I know you, and I know if I go to Nineveh, and I preach the word to the Ninevites, and they repent, you're going to forgive them, and you're going to show them your grace and your mercy, and they don't deserve it. If anybody deserves justice, if anybody deserves fire and brimstone, if anybody deserves Sodom and Gomorrah, it's Nineveh. 
And I don't want to be the one that gets them off the hook. And so he runs in the opposite direction. And that's where, you know, we all know the Sunday school version of, of, of Jonah, where he ends up in the belly of the whale for three days. That happens because he's on a ship trying to run in the other direction. A storm hits the ship. Jonah thinks the storm is God punishing him, and he doesn't want the rest of the crew of the ship to be punished. So he throws himself over the side of the ship and says, if I just drown, that'll take care of everything. And that's when the whale shows up and takes Jonah, and Jonah's in the whale for three days, and Jonah realizes he needs to follow God's call, as reluctant as he is about it. Whale spits him out. He goes to Nineveh, preaches the word to Nineveh. Nineveh repents, and God spares them destruction. What I love most about the story of Jonah is you get to the end and it isn't a storybook ending where Jonah goes, oh, I see the light now. God, thank you so much and everything's happy and you know, here's a bow put on the end of the story. No, they get to the end of the story. We have any real young kids in here? Jonah's pissed. He's mad at God. He says, no, wait a minute. I knew you were going to do this. I told you you were going to do this. You forgive these people. These people don't deserve it. He still is upset and that's literally kind of the end of the story is him and God kind of yelling at each other. And the reality of that, the realness of that, that it isn't the storybook ending is one of the things I love most about the story of Jonah. But what we have in Jonah is empire. We have the strongest empire in that area at the time that would dominate, would have power over people, choosing repentance, choosing self-sacrificial service instead. And it's that pivot that Jesus is locking onto. Because now we have another group of people looking to dominate over each other. And you may think I'm talking about Rome. I'm actually talking about the religious leaders. Their plan is to demand a sign from Jesus. And when he can't provide it, they can call him a fraud and turn the people against him. That's the plan of them demanding this sign from him. And Jesus, as he usually does, sidesteps that trap and says that he'll give them a sign, but it's going to be a sign that they're going to reject. And he says it's going to be worse for you because even Nineveh, even that evil empire, responded to Jonah's sign, and this sign's going to be greater than Jonah, and you're still not going to react to it. He says that they, he's talking to these religious leaders, and that they're accusing them of adopting the posture of empire, of dominance. But unlike the Ninevites, they won't repent. He's showing his followers how easy it is to get sucked into this cycle of empire, to get sucked into this cycle of dominating over one, uh, one another. That these religious leaders who've been dominated by the Roman Empire have decided to create their own little empire that they can then dominate. And that's going to balance out the suffering that they've had at the hands of the Romans. They respond to being oppressed by trying to oppress others. And Jesus is very strictly trying to show his followers that that is not the way of the kingdom. In the kingdom, first we serve. In the kingdom, first we sacrifice for each other. And as we sacrifice for others, we have others who sacrifice for us, and in that way, all needs are meant. That's the way of the kingdom, not power over, but service coming under one another. So I've been talking for 17 minutes now. What does have any of this have to do with creation? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> we know that Christ is referencing the time between crucifixion and resurrection, time in the ground, in the land, in creation. And this sign proves the importance of self-sacrificial love better than Jonah ever could. Jonah had to set aside what he wanted. He wanted bad things to happen to Nineveh, and God said no. God was going to forgive and show mercy and show grace. That's what Jonah had to sacrifice. Christ sacrificed his very life so that in him we could have eternal life. The greater example of self-sacrificial love exists, I don't, 
I don't know what it is. So the posture is the important thing. Are we going to try and dominate over? Are we going to choose the way of empire? Or are we going to choose the way of coming under and serving? What's our posture going to be? Where are we going to fall on that spectrum? And when it comes to Tove, that flow of creation, the life that begets more life that begets more life, how are we going to approach that flow? Are we going to try and take the way of empire and dominate it and use it to our advantage and the consequences be darned? Or are we going to be servants? Are we going to serve each other? Are we going to serve creation? Are we going to serve God? That's the question that we have to ask when it comes to creation. Now, this is a point where if I wanted to, I could veer off into the direction of policy and we could talk about all kinds of specific environmental ideas that need to be addressed and how to address them. And Some of you may be disappointed that I'm not going to do that. Some of you may be relieved that I'm not going to do that. But I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's appropriate from the pulpit. The point of the pulpit is not to stand up here and tell you what to think. The point of the pulpit is not to stand up here and tell you how to vote or who to support or any of those things. The point of the pulpit is to point out the flow of Scripture. Here's what God has laid in front of us. Here's the flow of creation. Here's the directionality that God has laid out for our lives. Join that flow. Join that directionality. And then let that lead you to whatever decisions you're going to make when it comes to policy, when it comes to voting, when it comes to environmental issues and climate change. Because out of creation, out of Tov comes new and hopefully better life. That's the flow. That's the way of the kingdom. Jonah came out of the whale and there was repentance. Jesus came out of the ground and there was defeat of death. We come from the very dust of the earth, from the material of long dead stars. That is what we are made of. We are intricately linked to creation and we've been given a unique role in creation. The role of stewards the role of guiding, the role of aiding, the role of helping, the role of supporting creation. And when you see Jesus adopt this self-sacrificial loving posture, when you see Jonah adopt this self-sacrificial loving posture, when you see God in the very nature of the Trinity adopt a self-sacrificial loving posture, the flow, the directionality to me and hopefully to you becomes obvious. And then within that flow and within that directionality, it is for each of us individually and us together as a community to decide what is ours to do. We can't fix everything as individuals or even as a community. But we can, do cert- we can make certain steps. We can make certain sacrifices in our lives. It's up to you. How much a part of that flow do you want to be? Where do you want to be on that spectrum? Do we want to have power over creation? Do we want to use creation as something that's here purely for our benefit? Or do we want to serve creation in the way we serve each other, in the way that we serve God? That's the question. And it's the question I want to leave with. I'm not going to leave you with an answer. Usually at the end of sermons, you try to put a nice bow on things. That's not what I'm going to do this week. I am going to suggest, I am going to ask, I am going to plead with you that at some point in the next week, or two weeks, or if you want to wait till vacation when we get up to McGregor, that's great too. But the best place to ponder these questions, I have found very recently, is out in nature. It's looking at creation, really taking the time to spend time in creation, observing the wonder and amazing intricacy of all of this world around us. 
And then ask yourself, what's my posture towards this thing? How am I living my life right now? Am I using the power of, of empire? Or am I taking a posture of service? Or where on that spectrum am I? Ask yourselves this week, next week, whether it's up at vacation, wherever it is. Ask yourselves, what's my posture towards creation? That's the point of creation, Tide. That's the point of this season of creation. Understanding this flow, understanding this directionality, understanding the trajectory God has laid out for our lives, and understanding why creation is there around us. There is a relationship there to be had, and there is a way, I want to say, to access God through nature. That's brushing up against pantheism, I know. Nature is not God, but God is in nature. That's a whole theological thing I won't bore you with here at the end of the sermon. But ask yourselves those questions. What is our posture? What is it we can do? What is it we have been doing? What is it we should be doing going forward? Are there changes we need to make in our lives to be servants of creation, to be good stewards of creation? Where are we on that spectrum and where should we be going forward? Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org. Thank you.